sure that Christ is our solid rock. His word is truly that way as well. And when we follow it, we're on firm footing. We're going to take a moment to look at portions of God's word today. And before we do that, we're going to take a moment to pray to God for the blessing that we need from his word and from his spirit. Heavenly Father, we do ask that for Jesus' sake you will guide our time together in the word. Uh, We're praying that the truths of your word may be of a blessing to us so that we might respond as we should. That we might be all the more uh, a congregation and a church of Jesus Christ as a whole that seeks to row in the same direction, seeks to uh, unite in the, the truths of the word, seeks to live penitently, humbly before you and before others. And that uh, as we look at this portion of your word and as we look at the truths of your word today, that your spirit may be at work in us so that uh, we might receive it as we should. Uh, and then respond in faith and hope and love and in the fruit of the Spirit to which you've called us. May you accept our prayers, dear Father. May your Spirit so be at so work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be turning to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll read the entire chapter of Hebrews chapter 4 and pray that we might use that portion of God's Word to shed light on the confession that we make. Uh, the Word always comes first because we can't make a confession without the Word. And so we read the Word first. Uh, the Word is prominent. The Word is supreme. Uh, and then we respond in kind with our confessions. We're looking at Lord's Stage 31 as part of our understandings of uh, the keys of the kingdom. In the light of God's Word, we look to Hebrews chapter 4. We carry on in our series on the Heidelberg Catechism, and uh, as we do so, let's start with verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living. And active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are thankful for God's word to us this morning, and we want to take a moment to consider, out of Lord's Day 31, the keys of the kingdom. Right before that, uh, we were hearing about how those to be admitted to the Lord's Supper uh, should not be admitted if they are not showing by what they say and do that they're believing in godly, and how the church leadership is supposed to exclude such people by the official use of the keys of the kingdom until they reform their lives. And that's why you get into what we're doing, dealing with now in Lord's Day 31. What are the keys of the kingdom? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline toward repentance. Both preaching and discipline open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. How does preaching the gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to each and every believer that as often as he accepts the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of what Christ has done, truly forgives all his sins. The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the anger of God and he eternal condemnation rests on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. Question 85 asks, well, how is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? According to the command of Christ, if anyone, though called a Christian, professes unchristian teachings or lives an unchristian life, if after repeated brotherly counsel he refuses to abandon his errors and wickedness, and if after being reported to the church, that is, to its officers, he fails to respond also to their admonition, such a one the officers exclude from the Christian fellowship by withholding the sacraments from him, and God himself excludes him from the kingdom of Christ. Such a person, when he promises and demonstrates genuine reform, reform is received again as a member of Christ and of his church. So we thank the Lord for the truths of his word. May it be a blessing to us to, to receive them in ministry this morning as well. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think that our boys and girls here know that whenever we make use of a key, where that key fits, you use that key in a place where that key fits. It always does its job, doesn't it? It always does. It either unlocks or starts something, right? 
It'll open a lock, it'll start the car, maybe you ask your mom and dad for the keys sometime when you're at church, and I have the keys, because I can't get in the car otherwise, or I can't warm up the car, or, or, you know, if you're old enough, start the car. You need the keys. And you know that your keys, your parents' keys, are going to fit, and they'll do the job. They'll open the door, they'll start the car, they'll warm up the car. And they also do the opposite, don't they? They lock the door. They shut off the engine. And uh, you might find other keys that will unlock or lock the padlock. But whenever we use those keys, they always accomplish something. You don't use them for nothing. Well, when we make use of Christ's royal keys, the keys of the kingdom, the same thing happens. Whenever we use those keys, the door to God's saving and royal blessings in Christ are either opened or they're closed to people. They never accomplish nothing. They always accomplish something. And we want to reflect on the use of Christ's keys this morning that are used by the church remarkably to open and close the door of Christ's kingdom. Speaking also to the entering to the rest that belongs to God's people in faith. The keys include, as our confession states, the preaching of the gospel and the use of Christian discipline. We consider the use of the preaching of the gospel as one of those keys that open and, and close the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. These are keys that belong ultimately to Christ. Who, when he opens the door, no one can shut it, we hear in the scriptures, and when he shuts the door, no one can open it. He entrusts those keys to the church of Jesus Christ, who is called to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to all nations. Preaching is a means by which the kingdom is opened and shut to the world. To those who are listening to the gospel. It's important, it is, it's important to understand that this gospel proclamation is the chief means by which the church goes about its business. It's its chief means. It's its chief business. It's this very gospel, in essence, that was spoken to the children of Israel long ago, as we read in our passage. It speaks about the gospel that was spoken to them. And you say, well, the gospel was when Jesus Christ came. Well, it was, but it was already promised. It was already in kernel form. It was in a shadowy form already in the Old Testament. And our passage reflects that when it talks about the good news that was spoken to them, that many people disobeyed and disbelieved. It's not just the, you know, there's no reason to relate to what happened in the Old Testament for New Testament people in Hebrews if the Old Testament and the New Testament don't have some kind of time in it. But they do. The gospel was then, the gospel is now. And part of what Hebrews is trying to tell people, of course, is that 
you know, take a lesson from the people who didn't listen to the gospel back in Joshua's day. Because if you think things were bad for them in knowing that they hadn't entered the rest of God, imagine what it's going to be like for you when you don't listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ today, uh, a lot more clear, a lot more fuller, a lot more, uh, uh, a lot more complete kind of revelation that's being made known to you. If you think it was bad for them that they couldn't enter into Canaan, what's going to happen to you when you're not going to enter into heaven? And you're going to end up in hell. The gospel was spoken then. The gospel is spoken today. It is this very gospel in essence that continues to be proclaimed. And, it's, and of course it's seen more clearly now. It's supposed to be something that, that it's not just something that was found just in, in Israel as it was in those days for the most part. Now it's something that the nations have been able to see. All the nations of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And that's to be believed, and that's to, as it's heard today. And as the pastor says, as long as it's called today, as long as this is a day that God has made, and, and you get up in the morning and you, you go about the things and you can say, well, I live for today. I live on this day. This is a day of faith. At least it's called to be. And yet, remarkably, children, uh, churches are tempted to make something else the chief matter of proclamation, not the gospel. And so let's proclaim social justice. Let's like let's like make race the issue. That's our gospel today. Racial reconciliation. That's what matters. Or let's proclaim people's rights and you name whatever it is that you think that people should be able to do. Or let's let's proclaim some particular political pundits and, and potentates. And let's make that the issue that comes from the pulpit of churches. Or let's talk about how you can become financially independent. Because wouldn't that just be a wonderful thing for you and your family? Or how you could stay healthy longer if you just showed forth a kind of spiritual strengthening in your life. Or let's make it one where, you know, we can make it in this life if we just like each ourselves better. These are proclamations that happen in so-called churches, but these are not the callings of the churches. Those keys will not fit the door of Christ's kingdom. Those are not the keys to be used by the church publicly in season and out of season. Now, if people proclaim a different gospel, it may pack some auditoriums. I can tell you, I can assure you that that's true. And you don't need me to tell you that. You can look it up yourself or places where gospel is the farthest thing from the lips of those who are proclaiming it are packing places with them, with whatever it is that they're, they're bringing. And it may make a great deal of people happy to hear whatever it is those people are talking about. 
and people who've got these crowds that just fill these these auditoriums, they, they could easily become proud of themselves, you know, because uh, look what they've been able to proclaim. Look what kind of keys they've been able to use. Look how big they are. Isn't that what it's about? Well, those proclamations are not Christ's keys. And they won't open the kingdom of the people unto faith. It will not lock the door to those who in unbelief seek to sneak into the kingdom. People are tempted to use their own keys when it comes to what they proclaim. And they're tempted to, to use other means besides the preaching of the gospel to unlock the door of the kingdom of God to people. They will serenade these people into the kingdom. They'll sing them into the kingdom. Well, at least people will be attracted to something, you say. Preaching the gospel doesn't seem to get it done. And what people forget, what people forget when they think that preaching doesn't accomplish very much, people forget that preaching always accomplishes something. Because preaching the gospel is always the key that fits the lock. Preaching the gospel then always, if we want to put it that way, the preaching of the gospel always works. And it's not that everybody who hears the message believes. You know, when I had a chance last Saturday, last week's Saturday, and I had about 300 people in my former church. They filled the whole floor. The place has a balcony and then there's a floor um, that way. And the whole floor on a Saturday morning was filled for that 28-year-old sister of ours in the Lord. And I know that there were a lot of people there who didn't care about the gospel. And I remember, you know, there were a lot of people who said, well, that was really great, Pastor. I appreciated what you brought. But I know that as the gospel was brought, there were a lot of people who heard it and didn't care. Or maybe for the moment they thought, well, well that was really nice. But it didn't mean two hoots to them. I know that. It happens at a lot of funerals that way. I know it meant a lot to a lot of other people, to be sure. The gospel, that is. But there's a lot of people who don't care. You know. People don't always respond. That's for sure. But preaching the gospel always works. Not that everybody who hears the message believes, but it always works when it, in what it sets out to do. Because God's word is, is never shackled that way. It, it's God's word after all. He's supreme. He's sovereign. How could it not accomplish what he sets out for it to do? And when the gospel is proclaimed, one of two things happens. Either people either respond in faith or they, they, they remain in their unbelief. 
People who respond to it in faith enter the kingdom of God unto salvation. People who don't respond to it in faith as long as they remain in that impenitent and unbelieving condition, as long as they remain there, under, they remain under the wrath of God. They're not children of, of God. They're children of wrath. They may not know that. They may not believe that. But they are. Unless there's a change of heart. By God's Spirit, people enter the kingdom in faith, or by a hardened heart, they remain outside that kingdom. Once again, we see that preaching the gospel is a powerful event. It is. You know, it's. I know that over again, you know, over the course of years, I know that, that people don't think it's a big deal. They don't. They don't think it's a big deal if they hear that the preaching of the gospel is happening somewhere. They got other things to do. More important things to do. Right? I mean, there's a lot of things to do in the world. Football to watch, and there's there's family to see, and there's work to be done, and there's no time gospel preaching? Where does that fit on things? Well, these are Christ's keys. It's a powerful event. Now, now some in their religions, they seek to compel people to become adherents. They seek to twist people's arms. They seek to threaten them. I mean, bodily, right? Nothing would make militant Islam happier than if they could compel everyone to be Muslims out of fear. They don't have to be willing, they just have to be afraid if they weren't. And some would say, well, that's a powerful religion for you, isn't it? That can compel people to faith by force. And some along with that would say, well, how powerful can words be anyway? They're just words. They're just words. And yet, how many people are influenced by words, one way or the other? How many are not influenced in our day by the lie? Whether you're looking at the political side of things or the religious side of things. You know, I, I look back, it just happened to be, I just saw an old film where Adolf Hitler was speaking somewhere back in the 30s. And the throng of people that were there. Enormous crowd that were following him. And they weren't all kooks, you might say. These were people filled with nationalistic fervor. And they saw him as their savior. <laughs> people have been influenced by the lie. They're, they're influenced by word. And that, and that, that influence by the lie is as old as Adam and Eve. So words are powerful. But if that's so, then, then the word of the Lord is most powerful. And our pastor says that it cuts to the heart of men. It exposes who we are. It shows us what the phoniness of man seeks to cover, his shame and his sin and his nakedness before the holy God. He even tries to you know, hide from oneself. God's word cuts to the heart. And when it does, people by grace either respond and say, have mercy on me, God, a sinner, 
lest I die eternally, and, and, and may I find it in Christ in my time of need. Or they'll do what our passage says that people have done and people will do. They will harden themselves to that word in their unbelief. And while by grace the preaching of the word brings people into the kingdom, the preaching of the gospel will also declare to those who will not believe that until their attitude changes unto faith, they will not enter into the kingdom of God and ultimately they will not enter the rest of God through Jesus Christ. They will not have rest ever. Every time we hear the gospel as believers, that gospel is used by Christ to spur us on to endure and to hold fast to the faith that we've confessed. That's what, that's what Hebrews 4 is doing right there. It's encouraging people to hold fast. No matter what they're facing, no matter what they're experiencing, no matter how the world may oppose them. Because we need not fear man, we need to, to, to reverence God's Word. That whoever hardens their heart to the Word will never enter the rest of God. And we can take a hundred people who hear the Gospel and, and say 37 of them respond to the Gospel. And 63 don't, do not. So how successful was the proclamation of the Gospel? 100% successful. Because what dictates the success of the gospel is not how many are one for Christ, but that the gospel was proclaimed. And that's why the gospel needs to be proclaimed in season and out of season, to the church and to the world. Paul plants the seed, Apollo waters it, but God gives the increase. And that's what needs to be kept in mind. The calling of the church to proclaim the gospel. While it is God who will see to it that what he sets out to do with that word will be accomplished. The door will be open to those who believe its message and the door will be shut to those who don't believe its message. And the warning then is this. Don't be among those who who harden their hearts in unbelief. That's what Hebrews is telling us. Don't harden your hearts in unbelief to the word that, that is repeatedly or singly proclaimed to you today. Because if you do, you'll never enter God's rest and you'll never enter his salvation. But if you do respond in faith, you need to be assured that your sins are forgiven. And you enter the kingdom and the rest of God. My friends, I, uh, I've kind of uh, gone beyond what I thought I would do in this first point, that the first point almost has become an entire sermon, and I notice my time is starting to, to uh, give up. And so I'm going to pause at this point and just conclude at this point we have another key to look at. It's going to take a little longer to look at that before we can get through to it. So we'll, we'll take that up again at another time. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll take up the other key of the kingdom, Christian discipline. But it is a good thing for us to be reminded again this morning that the, the chief business of, of the Church of Jesus Christ it's the proclamation and the preaching 
of the gospel. And that key may not be very important to some people. And, and the way, in fact, in fact, it might even not even seem necessary to some people. But this is Christ's key as his discipline. And that's what makes it important. And it's used to open and close the kingdom of heaven. That, that's how important. This is a life and death, time and eternity uh, event that takes place. And, and that, because of that, that key deserves our respect. And, and the best way that we can show our respect to it is to do what the scripture uh, tells us to do. To believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and to hold fast to that confession. And that's the way that the kingdom is open to us. And that's the way that we enter the rest of God eternally. A rest that remains for the people of God in Jesus Christ, who is the keeper of the keys to the kingdom. And may the church make sure that it understands its chief business that way. And it is to be proclaimers of this gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're thankful that this morning that we could take a few moments to focus our attention on this key, this preaching of the Word, to see its primacy, its importance, uh, to recognize that that is a gospel that has been proclaimed Old Testament and New. And we realize, Father, that when it's proclaimed, it, it can oftentimes be devalued uh, by unbelief. Um, it, it can easily be set aside, ignored, avoided, uh, because it just doesn't seem that important, doesn't seem that necessary to people. Uh, and, and hearts are pricked and consciences, consciences don't seem to care. But Lord, we're grateful that we live in times where that gospel continues to be proclaimed and there is a gospel to be proclaimed. And that you will use that gospel like a, a key is used in its proper lock. And it will accomplish what it sets out to do. To lock or to unlock. To shut or to start. And that your word always accomplishes what it sets out to do. We thank you, Father, that that's true. May we find in our own lives that the proclamation of the gospel is super important to us. Both in our hearing, and also in the telling that we do, that people might see in our own lives that what we believe is, is also what we say, that Christ has done great things for us, for which we are glad. We love your word because we're sheep of the shepherd, and sheep of the shepherd love to hear the shepherd's voice. We find that to be so all the more every day in our lives, dear Father, rejoicing in the rest that we have through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We accept our prayers, dear Father, in Jesus' name.
Amen. We're going to 